Hello folks, it's me, Tony from the future. Just coming in at the beginning of this to kind of apologize. We were not able to really do any spooky episodes for this particular run in October. Just with the way the G1 came out and the way our episodes ended up coming out. So I apologize for that. I'm also going to be taking the next two weeks off. We will be having episodes, I just will not be on them. Um, so Joey is going to be handling the editing and the hosting duties as they explore See No Evil and go over the Halloween Havoc episode of NXT. I certainly will look forward to that. Anyway, just thought I'd let you know. And for now, let's get to the show. Welcome everyone to Fantasy Bookers, as we are, I guess, exclusively a New Japan show now. I am Tony with Ace, Marlon, Andy, and Suzette. We'll have Joey join later here as he puts the kids to bed and hopefully finished his wrestling homework and actually watching some of the G1 here. You forgot Marlon. No, he said, he, said Marlon. he said Marlon, Andy, yeah. Susie. Oh, did he? Yeah, oh, I, yeah. the ownership's already happened. <laughs> The ownership started transfer. <laughs> I guess so. All right. <laughs> You're just not used to not hearing my name with yours. Yeah, that to was screw you off. That's fine. It works out. Remember, you did were. it to yourself. I sure did, as you were, sir. So as we get into this, uh, we all watched the finals. Hopefully, um, that was this morning. A three-hour and twenty-minute event that. I would say surrounded one match, but I can be talked out of that and talked off. That was the match, right? I think you are. I think you are greatly underplaying the importance of Grandmaster Watto. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the first question would be: What did everyone think of the finals? What do you think of a? G1 event, which literally has only one G1 match in it. I think I, you're a little extra butthurt, and I'm not sure why. I have an agreement. I, I went into this knowing that this would be what it was, because this is the norm for G1 finals events. 
is your you have your one singles match at the end of the night and tag team matches to that lead up to it. That's also I, the norm for outside of the big shows like Dominion, Wrestle Kingdom, and uh, Power Struggle. It's coming up in the in, usually that's the formula of tag matches and then maybe one big match at the end. Yeah, and I'll I will completely admit that I'm biased. I I completely understand that I have my my taste has been catered by American wrestling where especially in WWE you are taught that multi-man tag matches have zero story involved with them. So in general I was kind of watching in the background while I was doing other things. I did have English commentary which despite someone being there live was not very good. Can we at so, least give him the credit? It was 10 times better than the <laughs> after recorded bullcrap they've been peddling until now. It was I better. Entered, it was still I bad. <laughs> well, because I, I will say, even though Chris Charlton was there live, because I, I, I watched the block finals as well with English commentary. And I think the first night of the block finals, they had him, they had him out there like on a, at, at ringside. And it caused this weird echo effect from oh. his recording. So they, after that, they moved him to a to a, a room somewhere in the arena to record while yeah, watching it on a monitor. The- so. <laughs> I was wondering why he was so well-dressed for being in front of a green screen at home. But turns out he wasn't at home. Yeah, he was. That, that poor guy. I flew all the way to Japan and he threw me in a fucking basement. Well, I, th- <laughs> I think he lives in Japan. <laughs> He either lives in Japan or he lives or he's from he's originally from the UK, but I think he might live in Japan. When I said that kid was going places, I didn't mean the basement. I like I like the commentary on New Japan better than I like the commentary on AEW. Like ten and, seconds. That... And WWE's two main shows, Raw and SmackDown. I it, and that applies to their Japanese commentary, in spite of what's his name. Very distracting headgear. Jushin that is Jushin Liger. Thunder Liger. Yeah, the hey, the greatest legend. junior heavyweight wrestler in history. And let's be honest, one of the best Thunder. names ever. <laughs> I am I am terrible with names. I don't know anybody's name except for the people that I hate. Uh, so I can't tell you who I like outside of the commentary. Like I love everybody on commentary, so that's easy. Uh, but I hate Juice Robinson. <laughs> Fuck that guy. However, I feel like we're learning a lot about you with that statement. <laughs> Susie, what, how has the G1 made you hate Juice Robinson? I hate, where do you want me to start? His stupid fucking outfits? His stupid fucking existence? His stupid mannerisms? Everything about him pisses me off. He's like just extra for no reason? He is whatever... Whatever fucking chaos goblin lives in my brain and tells me to throw myself off a bridge on a regular basis, Juice Robinson is the physical manifestation of that goblin. See, I was going to say, Juice Robinson, I feel like you hate him because he reminds you a lot of yourself. I'm pretty sure if you're a duty to be Juice Robinson. That's insulting and I want a divorce. (laughs) Well, you already sold him to me, so. (laughs) Get out. Juice Robinson over here. No. So then I have a question because, and sorry to talk over you, Ace, here, but um, I was kind of thinking about this when I saw uh, Tanahashi's entrance. 
and just thinking about Tanahashi in general. And he is kind of the same level of extra that Juice Robinson is. But Tanahashi somehow has that... He still has gravitas with it. And he seems (laughs) genuine about it. Is it just that Juice Robinson is extra without feeling genuine about it it feels like maybe this is just some carryover from when he was cj parker and nxt or something it's it's something that most of the white guys in new japan have i don't know what it is i i'm sure there's a word for it and collectively as a group we'll figure it out and put the dictionary together in my brain but there's something about the white guys the white Americans specifically. The Amer- you just say the Americans. It's when Americans get over there. They act completely like the opposite of the Japanese talent. They're Martin. not. They're not as pro- like professional. This this whole event feels like the professional wrestling version of like the U.S. Open. It's structured. It's professional. It's proper, and yeah, you have comedy wrestlers, and you have, you know, different gimmicks and different entrances, like what's-his-name that comes out with the microphone, and he looks like The Miz and a K-pop star came together and made a baby. Oh, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Now, that, and, that is that is the Dark Lord, the Dark Holy Emperor Taichi. Him, too. He looks like a K-pop star <laughs> as well. I'm not going to lie. And it's it's cool. Like, they fe- it feels like they take it seriously. They're very serious they treat this like the spectacle and the big event that it is and then here's this fucking doofus looking fucking white guy (laughs) with fucking his calves exposed for reasons that i haven't quite figured out he looks like a bruise blues brother his attire looks distressed and it's not attractive on him because he looks like a doofus it's they don't and jay white just looks like a prick so I actually would like to ask a question on this. Are we just seeing the natural evolution of, for lack of a better term, a bit of uh, typecasting, like we see with the Japanese wrestlers in the U.S., especially on WWE, where they tend to have very Japanese gimmicks, and we're not entirely sure if it's because they want to or if it's because they're kind of being pushed to do that because they're Japanese. I, Could we I be seeing like... kind of a caricature of Americans on the American wrestlers? Dude, yes, that's it exactly. I feel like when they purchase a product... They want that. They want America. They want loud. They want brash. They want arrogant. They want apple pie. If you could come in with a cowboy hat, that would be even better. I feel like when Japanese wrestlers come to the U.S., they want that. They want reserved. They want mysterious. They want martial arts master. They want whatever Tajiri was in ECW. They want to copy and paste that over and over again. So I feel like people like Juice Robinson, they're just playing up that thing they expect from the West. Like, you expect me to be loud and obnoxious? I'm going to be loud and obnoxious. Same thing with dudes like... Finn Balor, who may come out like kind of a prick in New Japan compared to over here where he's more reserved. I feel like Japan has naturally more reserved wrestlers. So you throw in a loud American in there, of course they're going to stand out, especially when they're Juice Robinson, who already stood out like crazy when he was CJ Parker over here. Fair enough, but I still think that there's a certain level of entitlement and you're going to pay attention to me whether you want to or not. But how do we know that's the character? It's... I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm not disagreeing (laughs) with you, for the record. 
but I'm, I'm trying to, you know, play devil's advocate here and try to get a balanced view is how do we know that that is not prescriptive to the character and is actually indicative of the wrestler themselves? Because I feel like that's a very important line. It's present in Juice Robinson. It's also present in Jay White. Two different characters, two different styles. One's very in-your-face and flamboyant and, you know, here's my calves and my junk. And Jay White, who's in the Bullet Club, he has this faux air of quote-unquote professionalism that, you know, somebody in Bullet Club would have. But it's still, their presence feels like but a I'll stain. I with Zack Sabre Jr., well, yeah, yeah. it was reserved as crap. <laughs> there, there's a the difference between Jay, like Jay White and Juice Robinson, and the the difference between those two and someone like Zack Saber Jr. And, and Will Ospreay. Jay White and Juice Robinson came up through the dojo, came up through the New Japan JoJo. These New no. Japan fans have seen they've seen these wrestlers as the young boys doing these pre doing the like the simple simple matches at the start of the cards, and then seeing them taking being attendants at ringside. So that's why they ha- kind of have this deep feeling of these fans, like that, like I deserve to be liked by these fans, is because they've put in the work. If they put in the work in that dojo, and it's worked out for them to a point. So Not knocking their like their their in ring presence, it's something about them, like as individual people. It feels like entitlement, like, and it's it's something that only the white Americans have. It's not present in the, any of the Japanese wrestlers. It's, it feels different. Their presence on TV, it just feels different. It looks different. And it doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't feel like they want to be there the same way that everybody else does. I, I, have, a, I have a theory about that. I feel like Japanese audiences are already naturally different. Now, now you add this COVID era where everyone has to be quiet. Wrestlers are used to having immediate instant gratification. And now here, now here is an environment where you're performing your ass off and these dudes are just staring at you or maybe clapping. Yeah, so wrestlers, as a result, they keep trying to perform, 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 and outdo themselves, maybe get some kind of response out of them, hear, hear a noise, but instead you have just more staring. I but feel like I've the, heard Chris Jericho talk about that before. Isn't the clapping like part of like isn't that just the thing that happens every year is like that's the style well, of well, the audience it always like the, the like the the audience in new for in regular new japan shows and regular japanese wrestling shows always they've it's always start out quiet and then build through the match <laughs> so by the end you are louder and cheer you're either cheer and cheering or booing and you're also always cheer you're also cheering and booing during their entrances yeah no nope. like so like Juice Robinson uh, in regular shows, he gets big reactions. The Japanese fans love him, and the Japanese fans hate Jay White for the right reasons. So, yeah. so they're just milking the crap out of this. Like yeah. whatever you hate, whatever you love. All right, more of that shit. <laughs> so I will kind of run with this a little bit. So for those of you who have watched more G One than me, I've. I've generally watched, I watched the first three days and then I watched the October 10th show and then I watched the finals and the October 10th show is amazing in the a block. It was probably my favorite two and a half hours of wrestling this year. Who would you say would be the overall MVP of the G one in general? Dave Meltzer says it's probably, uh, Ishii. 
I'm not so sure. I would say Minoru Suzuki, but I'm a Minoru Suzuki fan at this point, and I probably am, am giving him a little bit of credit due to his age. But Ace, who would you say was the MVP of the whole tournament? I'm inclined to agree with Meltzer on it because Ishii never had never had a bad match in the in the tournament. I am also though a huge Ishii fan. I understand. I, I think Ishii is in the perfect place on the card for the type of wrestler he is and who he is. So, for me, and I, every time I think of Ishii, I think back to this YouTube video I saw on an old channel that's been taken down. I think it was called Real Neat Puro about that linked Ishii to this quote from this French essayist Darth Barthezer, would how you pronounce it? Is that Barthes- a resume? <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, <laughs> It's that a wrestler in the essay about it's about pro wrestling, and in the essay he talks about how the function of a pro wrestler is not to win; it is simply to go out and do the moves that are expected. And I think Ishii does did that this tournament. He did everything he needed to do. He made everyone let he wrestled look great. He had great matches. He didn't outshine anyone. He need, he didn't outshine anybody that he couldn't outshine that he wasn't supposed to outshine. And he was always put. He was put in a position to where on the block finals, you were still able to believe that he would be able to beat Jay White. So Jay White wasn't able to make to didn't make it to the finals. That's a good close one, but for me, it was Sonata. It's Sonata was the big come up for me, especially towards the final match. I really thought he had it. They really had me sold on him from the beginning, especially after his loss to to, to was it Yoshihashi? <laughs> yes. Yeah, Yoshihashi. Mm-hmm. I. I thought after losing to that joke of a character, I thought, all right, well, there goes this dude's credibility. It's over. But he still managed to sell me. I was already sold on his character from the beginning, so I was really happy to see him make it as far as he did. So, Suzette or Andy, who was your MVP? So, I I also like Suzuki. He stood out to me immediately. I enjoyed everything about him. He scares me. Whatever it is, whatever evil demon genie that helps randy orton win matches he is also in possession of a similar evil thing and it's really cool it's he's scary he genuinely scares me i'm afraid of him if i saw him in a dark alley i would be afraid for my life he's definitely the akuma to, to randy orton's ryu it's <laughs> he's he scares me i love his wrestling i love his hair nobody's talked about his hair I love his hair. hair yeah. His hair is fantastic. Yeah, New Japan is great for hair. Everybody has bonkers, amazing hair. I don't know if they go to the same hairstylist or what, but they it's like a contest that do each other. Even if you can't but, win match of the night, you have the most amazing hair you win to me. The, <laughs> the biggest problem I have with people's hair in New Japan is when Sonata cut his hair from his mohawk that, def- that laughed in the face of God. <laughs> the fact that it was super high and whatever industrial strength glue he put in it to keep it this all straight up through all of his matches. I had a Paul Phoenix look. Uh, that's that is wood glue, and I know that yes from experience. You put wood glue in your hair, it'll stand up like that for days. Which means Sonata look like looks like my favorite second character, which just makes me like him even more. <laughs> so Andy, who was your MVP? So I'm going to be honest, I didn't have a real good way of judging an MVP in this case. So for my, I'm going to use a throwaway, and I'm going to say Tanahashi. He does have very pretty hair. That's a very pretty man. 
Yeah. It does seem Great like with New Japan and um, the way the wrestlers do their hair, it feels very much like how they say to do comic book art or even yes. anime art. And that's that you should know who the character is just from their silhouette. Mm -hmm. And I can't yeah. necessarily say that with like WWE or AEW. I imagine if you looked at Hangman Page and Kenny Omega in silhouette, they would just look like each other. Well, and I think that's intentional, too, because they even make commentary to that fact in uh, the climax today where they're talking about he styled himself over this particular anime character that he was influenced by as a kid. That reminds me a lot of the WWE wrestlers here in the U.S. that are, ad that are influenced by comic book characters. So you see like Wolverine costumes on Gargano and Nightwing on Ricochet. It's, I feel like they're trying to bring the same energy over here. Or you're trying to look like Wolverine like Brian Cage is. Or that, just straight up beat a guy. That, that guy is... Um, he was kind of like a Wolverine Sabretooth baby, that guy. He is. Strangest looking man I've ever seen in my life. But if we're talking about anime, I guess we need to talk about our favorite anime boy, and sorry about spoilers, people, but Kota Ibushi is the winner of the G1, and do we think it is earned? Do we... Are we excited for potentially Abushi against Naito from at least the looks of it right now? So I actually have a hot take uh, on this and specifically his match today, which is that love him or hate him, we all have to admit his bowl cut hairstyle today made him look like a really buff 12-year-old. He does. <laughs> he does. If anybody watched Power Rangers Turbo, especially when they made that kid the Power Ranger, he looks like that freaking kid. Justin. He looks like freaking Justin. It looks like he's my favorite Power Ranger. I know who Justin is. I, I'm not sure <laughs> the who Justin is. <laughs> anyway, to actually answer your question, though, Tony, yes, I feel he won it. Yes, I feel that it was earned throughout. Yes, I felt it told a good story, especially since we looked this up the other day. This is the third time since it's been called the G1 that someone has won it twice in a row. You know, so it's very good storytelling in that regard. However, I think one of the weakest points for me was that as I was watching G1 and as specifically I got to the match today, I found myself towards the end really, really wanting him to lose. You know, it was just like, no, I don't I don't want you to win this, man. I mean, the other guy's putting in way more heart than you. Come on, just, just let him have it. Especially with the commentary in English, which I don't think helped it, where they kept describing this, this is his last chance. If he's not going to win this, will he ever? You know, they gave it really a lot of the underdog tone. Well, they they have always been pushing for the past couple of years with Sonata that Sonata can al Sonata can always earn the big matches. He can earn the title matches with with Okada. He can earn being in the New Japan Cup Finals. He can earn his spot in the G One Final. But when it comes to winning those big matches, he has he has not been able to do it so far. They are also telling the story for Sonata in the commentary of how. Ibushi has been pushing him to step away from to break away from Lij and go back to being the Sonata he was before that because he doesn't think that the Lij Sonata is the Sonata he's supposed to be. So I think that's the story they're trying. They're going to start telling. I think I'm hoping that's the story they're going to start trying to tell now is him going back is him breaking away from Lij and becoming a new part and becoming a a newer version of himself. Okay, I gotta yeah. say I'm curious. That'd be good. I gotta say, I'm curious about this myself, and G1 did his job in convincing me to watch this on a somewhat regular basis. I do kind of see where some of these stories go, especially with Ibushi and Naito. 
I I feel like somebody called him winning when we first started watching this, and I don't remember who it was. I believe it was Ace, uh, actually. He he was one of the people I put forward that had the best chance of. There it is. I I don't have an opinion either way. I don't know enough about literally anybody to really have an opinion. He looks like Asian John Cena to me. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, I got John Cena energy, and that's how I knew he was going to win. He reminds me of John Cena in like his prototype days. It wasn't. I wasn't surprised that he won. I wasn't disappointed or excited. But I also wasn't surprised. I was like, oh, well, that's, that's it. And now it's now it's over. The protagonist won. The, yeah, like <laughs> a peak protagonist, like the, your creative character, like default creative character. He won. That's cool. Um, and then here comes Jay White after it's all said and done to be a douche. Because, of course. And yeah. I, I was I just wasn't surprised. I wish they hadn't made it so obvious that he was going to win. Um, but but it, to to me tonight was more about Sonata though. It was telling his story and trying to build him up. Even though Ibushi won the match, Sonata has earned a hell of a lot of favor of fans, and I feel like that sets him up for a good ass year. Well, and that's what exactly what I was saying is by the end of it, I wanted Sonata to win more. And yeah, it's I, not I because it's not because of... Abushi didn't deserve it. It's just purely, I feel like the storytelling made you want to believe Sonata was going to win it. And if they don't do something with that, I'm going to call that an absolute storytelling botch because they built up a lot of good credit for him. I will say too, New Japan always has a good, very good track record of when they build something up, they pull, they will pull the tree. Uh, they have a good history of pulling the trigger on it. So far, since I started watching, I think the only big storyline that they kept like bringing up in commentary that they just suddenly dropped was they were at one point setting up a story that Bullet Club had a mole inside of Chaos that was feeding them information that everyone assumed was supposed to be Trent Beretta. And then when Trent, when AEW started and Trent left New Japan for AEW, they had to just they just dropped it. I think that confirms it was Trent. Yeah, that's why. That's why everyone's just like it was. It was probably supposed to be Trent because at once he left, and that's they they stopped bringing it up. They stopped mentioning. So if um if we're building up both Sonata and Abushi, and Naito's currently the champion, I know Ace you mentioned previously in a conversation off the podcast that Naito probably hasn't had the best run, and I mean who would with COVID even, but if I'm Tetsuya Naito. Should I be like anxious about their potentially either going to have a Bushi win at um, at Wrestle Kingdom or somehow have Sonata beat him for the right to have that match and then have Sonata beat him? The story they've been telling with Ibushi is Ibushi is Ibushi's quest to become God. That is that was the thing they were pushing was that this Ibushi is looking to become God. As one does. Cap, and uh, as they also made very clear, capital G God is what he means. Because he, so. Well, of course, because Ibushi's dad was a soul reaper and his mom was a Quincy. So he just has these massive power spikes whenever he needs to win. Oh, God, if he shows up in a skull mask. (laughs) (laughs) So he has to to beat Triple H first. (laughs) Wait, now we're crossing it with Mortal Kombat? (laughs) 
Like, the only reason I, I if, if if I were a huge Naito fan, the only reason I would be the biggest reason I would be super scared that that Ibushi is going to beat him is because I think the, the type of care and I've I got I I agree. This is a line of thinking I got from another from a YouTuber that I wa- was watching. Uh, Wrestling and Ranton was the was the YouTube channel. I think he had to shut that his channel down though. He talks about like the he was in a video of his. He talked about the different types of characters and how Naito's character falls into to a he's a renegade character. He's the type of character that's kind that's most the most similar Western person I can bring you to. He's a, a type of Stone Cold Steve Austin character. And with Stone Cold Steve Austin, when he, he like you're, the best memories of Stone Cold Steve Austin are not when he was champion or when he was not champion. And so that's that's my thought on Naito is I think he ha- he's much better chasing the title I think than he has been than he has been as champion. That explains the energy I got, which is very kind of lazy. What am I even doing here? Kind of, like, what do I yeah. do with this? It's kind yeah. of like it feels like Dean Ambrose of the title. He's very Japanese Dean Ambrose about it. Like I have this, I guess. It's one of those like. He his goal was always to become champion. So now that he is champion, what does he do? I when Okada was champion, Okada's goal was always to be the greatest possible champion and to never let anyone take that belt from him. <laughs> Naito has never been that type of character. So. so I guess kind of on that note then, what do you what do you think if you had to put on your visor and say six months from now, this is the story New Japan is telling? With what we know now about how Naito's performing, the story they're setting up with Ibushi and Sonata, what do you think we're looking at six months from now? If you had to make a prediction, six months from now would be going into would, pro- would I think be going into New Japan Cup would be finishing up the the New Beginning tours and then getting started on the road to the anniversary show in New Japan Cup. I think what they'll be setting up they'll be setting up for Sonata to have a good. To have a good showing, if not win the New Japan Cup. If he wins the New Japan Cup, he would then challenge probably Abushi at Dominion. So, I think because I think Abushi, I think Abushi is going to win the title, and then it's going. I think that I think Abushi is going to win the title. It's going to set up some sort of power back power struggle between Sonata and Naito going into the New Japan Cup. Over which one of them, uh, and which will eventually lead to Sonata breaking away from his Lij character and going back to going be- instead of being Cold Skull Sonata, going back to being Seiya Sonata. Although I really like Cold Skull, that is a sweet friggin' jacket. Because yeah. mm-hmm. also, because I didn't know this until until I was listening to the commentary today, Sonata was a part of the same tr- public tryout. That night, that was night. That Naito was the only one to get into the New Japan Dojo from. Oh, that actually would be a really so, good story to tell if they do. Holy crap! Yeah, so it's like small because they can bring up small things like that. They'll bring up small things like that when they start if they start getting into a Naito Sonata feud. Because every time, every time Sonata has faced Yoshihashi, they bring up the fact that they both tried out for the New Japan Dojo at the same time. Both of them failed, so. Sonata went and joined uh, the Great Muda's promotion, and while Yoshihashi just kept retrying and retrying for the New Japan Dojo tryouts before eventually making it in. So they could probably play up something there, like you always thought you were better than me type, solid yeah. snake, liquid snake type thing. I have yeah. all the good genes type stuff. Cool. Or I'll throw out the storyline that's never going to happen no matter what. 
they team up to beat Ibushi. We should have teamed <laughs> up in the beginning, but we were separated at the beginning of our careers. Now we fix it and become the ultimate tag duo. But Ibushi first has to beat Triple H and attain too much power. Okay, so Joey, since you have a limited amount of time, did you just watch the finals or what did you end up watching? I watched the final and the match was, I mean, Ibushi, I know you were saying Suzuki, I think Tony was the best wrestler in the world the last time we talked individually. Abushi might be the best wrestler in the world. He is really, really good. And I know you've all talked about this in the past. It is very refreshing to watch the New Japan crowd because I'm not, I'm not, you know, eared to death by all the chanting. You know, they just, they just clap at appropriate times and really just get invested and just watch the match and take it in for the art that it is. Well, they're and- also not allowed to make noise right now. Oh, are they not? Okay. Well, that's also fair, but that's still, <laughs> it, it, it makes the atmosphere better or at least refreshing at this point. And of course, and the same thing I always, every time I watch a new Japan match, every time, holy cow, they are stiff. <laughs> they, I, how, how people don't just randomly have black eyes all the time in those post-match interviews. I will never know. Cause like a finisher with that knee to the head. Um, and some of those, some of those shots, holy crap! Whoa. So I watched, I watched Tanahashi against Naito, the of the first round, and that match was a lot of fun. I was stunned. I watched Abushi lose to Suzuki, so of course I read the results first before I saw the final match, and was stunned to see Abushi actually come back and win it. And um, I also watched Will Osprey's opening match. I think it was against Takagi. And that was Will Osprey was for some reason I thought Will Osprey was smaller, so he's he, much he used to be. He put on a lot of weight to go heavy. He put on muscle to go heavyweight. Okay, but the best match of of the ones all the ones I watched honestly I'd think Tanahashi Naito was probably the best of the ones I've watched. Granted, I watched a limit. I watched what five matches because I would say the Tanahashi Naito was better than the final. But Abushi, I I can watch Kota Abushi. I loved his work in the initial Cruiserweight Classic. I also, I obviously loved his match at Wrestle Kingdom 9, which I know you guys talked about. I think it was either last week or two weeks ago. Uh, he's, he's very, very pleasing to the eye in terms of watching pro wrestling. Nice cover. And just a, just, a general statement. I think we as a podcast can all come together and say that Abushi is a sexy, sexy man. Except for the head. Agreed. <laughs> I, mm. has he looks he looks too much like a baby for me to take him seriously as a sexual partner. He looks like an overgrown child. He looks like if I tried to sit on a, his face, he would die. I can't do that to him. No. No. Break his nose. Do you, do you guys ever hear about that uh, child weightlifter that was like so controversial, like in the early two thousands? I think it was like Young Hercules or something. Was his name? No. Yeah, I remember that. He had like a six pack. Yeah, he was like he had literally like fully defined pecs and a six pack and everything else at like the age of eight. Oh, uh, oh my god! Was this the video of the kid? He would do like box jumps, but he's like tiny. Uh, so I'm gonna have to find it. Yeah. Like boxes that are his height. Yeah, and it was a <laughs> bunch of other stuff. Like people are like, "How is that healthy?" And a bunch of like. Anyway, my point is, is 
I can't view Ibushi as anything other than that with his face and with that haircut. I'm sorry. If I was looking at him from the neck down, hell yeah, he's a sexy man. If you put his, picture, his face in that picture, I am swiping left. Yep, that's it. That's it. That's a baby. That is a baby. That is an overgrown baby with a really bad haircut. I'm pretty sure that's a kid of two fairy odd parents. His <laughs> <laughs> Amer- English name is Timmy. So, Dre, just because you need to go quickly, I'm just going to ask you the two questions, then we can go to getting Suzette's opinion on who is the hunkiest New Japan wrestler. (laughs) Because we need some some female gays in this podcast. So, um, first of all, since you watched the final, and we just uh, talked about how good Sonata is and how they seem to be building him up, even though he ended up losing. So what's your opinion on Sonata, especially in the final? And what's your opinion on a upcoming Wrestle Kingdom, uh, either Naito in a Bushi match, at least on paper, as long as Abushi doesn't lose it? So obviously excited about Wrestle Kingdom, because again, I've, I've liked Naito for some time since his match. I liked his match with AJ Styles in Wrestle Kingdom 9. So I paid a little bit of attention to Naito. Um, and of course, we've already talked about Ibushi and how excited I am just to watch him wrestle in general. But I'm glad you asked me that first question because I wanted to steer it to Ace because most of my experience with New Japan is from Wrestle Kingdom and a lot of their opening matches are like, they have like the the general tag matches that they kind of splurge together in like the beginning of the card. Yeah. And then you begin to see the one-on-one. Where did Sonata come from? Because... I was pleasantly surprised because I really didn't know much about him going in. So he was, was he part of like, wasn't he he the evil faction or he he is a member of LIJ with Naito and before, before evil turned on LIJ and Naito primarily evil and Sonata were tag team partners. That would all that, most of their most of uh, so far, I think all of Sonata's Wrestle Kingdom matches have been tag team championship matches. Mm-hmm. Either either the heavyweight tag team matches, heavyweight tag team championship, or for the never six man tag team champions. With one exception of this year when he faced he faced Zack Saber Jr. for the Rev Pro title. So he is pretty much since he joined New Japan has pretty much been relegated to for he's been pretty much relegated in the second half of each year to being Evil's tag team partner. While also like for the New Japan, he always he for the past few years he has had great matches in the New Japan Cup where he has just always proven unable to beat Okada. Has he faced so he has faced Evil then? Uh, I think they faced off in the New Japan Cup this year. So, because again, has and also has he changed his look recently? For some reason, I yes. feel like okay. uh, he since in the past few years he he used to have, as I said earlier in the podcast, the mohawk that defied God, <laughs> and then he <laughs> went blue, to what blue and, mohawk, and then he went to the look that was like like a sparkly pirate. Okay. I like that look. That's my look. And uh and now he's on his his new his new disco his new disco ball Batman. Okay. <laughs> no, but I was he to me he had a great look and 
I the only problem I have, and it's not really a problem. I just wish they had to highlight uh, another match for a title at Wrestle Kingdom. So I wish Abushi Naito wasn't necessarily. Or, I mean, will it be still for two titles? Will it be for the Intercontinental and the Heavyweight? That's I, that's what they're saying and what they're leaning to. I I don't think they have decided on how they want to break those titles up. If they want to break those titles up, mm-hmm. I. And it, it's also because of COVID, right? Because I mean, generally the G one happens in summer, right? So yeah. And of so, course, this year, so there's not a lot of time to all of a sudden have a tournament or do whatever yeah. kind of thing that well, they want to do. Yeah. But I wish, like, it would be nice to see Sonata maybe wrestle for like the IWGP Intercontinental title. Yeah. But that's that's not really a critique. That's more of a desire on my part. I don't think he needs to wrestle for it. I think I would still easily watch Wrestle Kingdom when it comes on. I mean, I'm still excited for it, and I don't need there to be multiple title matches i just need to see because wrestle kingdom has become almost like a wrestlemania where i don't care what the matches are i just want to watch the show itself they I thought they, it was their wrestlemania they they no, did yeah. announce uh, they did announce during the finals that wrestle kingdom 15 will be two nights like, like the last one was and will still be taking place from the tokyo dome mm-hmm. That's so awesome. i'm interested to see they I'm interested to see if they, because Naito has said in interviews that he wants to defend the title separately as well as together. So I, it'd be interesting to see if maybe like on night one, he defends the IC belt. And then on night two, he defends against Ibushi with, with the world belt. Ooh. But that'd be cool. That's, shit. that's the only way I can see up. That's the only time I can see between now and Wrestle Kingdom them breaking those belts up. I actually really am on board with that idea. Whether they do it or not, that's tough on a wrestler, but yeah. my lord, I would be for that idea. Because the because the only other options they've put for that I've seen put forward were from fans and interviewers and all that is that when they do like their tours that have multiple big shows, like the New Beginning tour which ends with three which ha- like during that tour there's three different big New Beginning shows having him defend the t- titles on those different shows, but that's not until yeah. February, so. And then going back to Marlon's point about Wrestle Kingdom, Wrestle Kingdom is their WrestleMania, and it's just like their big show. So I can, like I said, I can. It's just like WrestleMania where I can just watch it for the show alone. And this isn't a critique on AEW or TNA, but they've never TNA never really got that show. They they had their Bound for Glories, but TNA never had a show that felt bigger than life. And AEW has only been around for a year, so they have yet to really have any kind of show that feels bigger than life. And that's not where they're at anyway. Right now they got to, they're more or less trying to put on the best card possible for any kind of show that they have. So I, they shouldn't be focusing on a WrestleMania style show. So really it's wrestle kingdom and WrestleMania are the two that I really just, I can watch just it as a show. And I don't need to really even know about anything going in beforehand. Yeah. They're the temple events. Yeah. Bound for Glory was good when they had the six-sided ring. It felt, it didn't feel as big of a spectacle as WrestleMania did, but it was it it was bigger than their other pay-per-views, and it was bigger than their main show. And then when they got rid of the six-sided ring and brought in this fucking square ring, Hulk Hogan is a parasite. I'm convinced he just comes in, ruins everything, and then leaves. So, Joe, <laughs> since, since I imagine that you need to get going pretty soon, do you have any thoughts on the G1? Any 
ways or anything that other promotions can learn from the G1 and how they turn wrestling into essentially a limited sports season uh, that you would want to see maybe implemented in one of the main shows? Well, of course. I mean, the first thing, when you see a show like G1, and I know Marlon and Susie mentioned this uh, when we were going back to the first G1 review of how WWE can really implement this in the King of the Ring. Um, when the King of the Ring initially came out, yes, it, it became for the first, um, not the first year because that was Bret Hart, but the, the Owen Hart year, then the Mabel year, it basically became an excuse for the King of the Ring winner to then wrestle for the title at SummerSlam. I would like to see something like that institute, but you only need one big tournament a year. And the G1, I mean, the G1 they've been doing for a long time. They really, and including your champion in that, so it truly feels like you're the best wrestler is winning the G1, I think is very important. So including a champion in, in like a King of the Ring style tournament would be great. Um, as far as the style of show, New Japan is is so much different than, than most of the promotions anyway. It's tough because no matter what, you're going to have a difference in crowd. Um, depending on where you go around the world. But I will say it's it's nice to just kind of let the wrestlers get their little free reign in, put on a half hour spectacle in the big matches. I I would love to see that a little more often and let them let wrestlers sink or swim. If if you can put on a half hour match, do it. Um, but if you're not capable of it and you fall on your butt. Cool. Learn, learn it for next time. I'm pretty sure people won't drop the WWE network or stop watching AEW because they see a match that went too long. That was a weird. Okay. <laughs> and, and Andy, I saw you kind of uh, looking to chime in here. Anything you want to add? Oh no, I was uh, clicking my control button, which is my push tag for another reason. Ah, okay. I mean, grr, he's wrong. Anger, <laughs> controversy. I I agree. I agree with Joey. I we that happens a lot. <laughs> I agree with Joey. I I would love to see King of the Ring make a recurring visit. I would like it to take the place of one of the other pay-per-views and make it a one-night tournament where you start the night in the quarterfinals, then it goes to the semifinals, then it goes to the finals, and you wrestle one, two, three times that night. Mm-hmm. And it when they had it as just a pay-per-view, it was fantastic. I I love New Japan's setup, the way everybody pretty much wrestles everybody, and everybody gets a show, and there's A block, and there's B block, and there's nights. And they really do make a spectacle of their tournament. And I think that's really cool. But I think for Western audiences, and especially WWE, AEW, TNA audiences, a one-night recurring pay-per-view tournament would be digestible enough that people would enjoy it. And it might even encourage the more dedicated fans to turn on G1 every year and go, wow, all right, here's a big tournament that's going to take up like the bulk of my life. This is great. Let's do it. See, I, I sort of agree. And that King of the Ring should be one night. 
I like the way that D1 is structured, and I feel like it could easily be applied to w, w, the WWE as is. Your A block, your B block, you have your SmackDown, you have your Raw, you have your point system. Suddenly, every match matters. So if someone loses, say, on like a SmackDown or something, and they're like, boom, out of the running for a title, it hits heavy. It's a big deal, and it's more than just the title matches that mean anything. I would love to watch a match between like Sheamus and Cesaro that's like bonkers good not for a title or anything but just to be even in the spot i would i would like to actually have something to follow on their website as it were i think taking the g1 climax format and turning it into something bigger would be a good way to go with it culminating in a battle between raw's best person and smackdown's best person so to marlon and Susie. Then I would ask this question because you're a fan of of King of the Ring all being one night. Are you still okay with, um, because since we do like the G1's format, are you still okay with like the King of the Ring qualifiers on Raw and SmackDown as a build up to the tournament itself? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think having the like the qualifying matches and it, you know however their structure being on the main show and having them being be taken more seriously, something else that I liked about this whole setup is there's no dumb shit happening while a match is happening unless it involves the people at ringside. There's no backstage segment. Look at what's happening on the screen. There's no bullshit. There's no dumb stuff. There's no 24-7 title. It's you are forced to pay attention to the match that's happening and the people that are in it and whoever they brought to the ring with them. You have a very direct focus because you know no dumb shit's going to happen. That That's so peaceful. It's just peaceful. Yeah, they save all the dumb shit until after the match. Like, right here, <laughs> Evil, we're, we're, we're still kind of, we have it on the TV rewatching it as we're talking to you guys, and Evil just kind of held a hold on too long, and, like, refs had to jump in, and Naito had to kick him off. Shit like that's cool. It, you hold the heel tactics, but you we, but you went in a solid way. He got him to tap, but he was still an asshole about it, and that's what made him a heel. What I also like about the system is having the champion in there. Imagine being some up-and-comer who gets to beat the damn champion at this tournament. That's insane. That's the kind of stakes I would love to see in a WWE. Imagine being a Gargano type and beating like Randy Orton out of the blue or some shit and just getting hype over it. The crowd's going nuts, and you get pushed to Raw out of nowhere. That would be really cool. I, I like underdogs. And tournaments like this, they're ripe of underdogs. They're ripe of karate kid stories just waiting to happen. Maven throwing the Undertaker out of the Royal Rumble. Yep. Just not Maven, maybe, but moments like that. <laughs> so I think this is what I would do if I was a WWE or an AEW um, and I wanted to implement a G1 style system. Because the language of sports is already with US viewers. In. And I would say that you just treat it very similar to the way you would football. You have a very limited run of weeks. You have basically your wrestling season where you say, hey, this is what's going to happen on given days. This is the way the schedule is set up. And then you have your wrestlers face each other. The point totals don't just go directly into your main finals. Instead, you treat it like you would football. A certain amount of teams get into the single elimination playoffs. You have a single elimination playoff like a King of the Ring on a special event like King of the Ring. And then 
winner gets a championship match. It seems very easy to implement, and it seems that it would provide you a lot of television content from like a post-WrestleMania to a SummerSlam or any other gap that you would want to fill in that. So, Tony, I'll reply to you with this because we talked about this individually. Do you need a deeper roster for these style tournaments or do you even need more participants? For example, we talked about AEW's tournament that they now have upcoming. And while it's so painfully obvious that we're going to get a Joey Janela Colt Cabana final where you where you can see the eight participants and you obviously know who's going to meet in the finals or what's going to happen or who's going to be involved. And WWE's done that in the past too. They have a little bit of a deeper roster than say an AEW at this point. But usually in King of the Ring, you generally know, you know, who's going to end up where or for any kind of tournament for like a championship tournament that WWE's done. And I think the advantage of New Japan is I can go into New Japan watching the G1 and generally I might have an idea or at, at least I'll have a favorite but really identifying who is going to win is is not quite as easy as it would be with the other two promotions. I think if you're WWE, you do not have a problem with how deep your roster is. Because you can always pull things from either of your shows, or you can pull people from NXT, or you can simply sign people to arrive if you really want them for a limited run like you would have in a Cruiserweight Classic or a May Young Classic. I think that's something that could easily be done by that big a company. The question I have for you on that one, then, Tony, is do we think they still have the political capital to do that? Even if they're financially solvent enough, do we think they have enough trust left in people after the massive layoffs we've seen lately? I think if they simply did a limited run contract like they would for the classics, it's fairly low risk for the wrestler to go into it. It's why you see a lot of non-WWE talent in those tournaments. I, when uh, For the Cruiserweight Classic in particular, the final four were Zack Sabre Jr., Kota Ibushi, uh, Grand Metalik, and TJP. Only two of those were signed to WWE contracts. And they were the two that made the final. They were the two that made, yeah. So they were able, so WWE was still, they still... They they were still they're still willing to show out to show off people and try to convince them to sign while doing these limited runs. Yeah. So meanwhile, if you're AEW, there you need to do a little bit more uh more politicking because then you do need to talk to other promotions, potentially some indie talent, and see who you can bring up. I think there's a deep enough roster across independent wrestling in general and you have enough people especially with joey janela acting as your de facto feeder system um with uh gcw the i think you could find a way to fill out a like a multi-week season bracket i feel like there's another benefit here and that it writes itself and then we don't need writers trying to figure out what to do with all these people so So they're not cramming them into tag teams and shit. I have one more question to ask then on this. One of the strengths of, you know, kind of Asian sports culture is people tend to be more involved, at least in my opinion. They tend to be more involved in, you know, what's going on, keeping up to date, even with the minuscule stuff, where I view it as more in the U.S. It's only the super dedicated people that follow it event to event. Most people only care about my team and then only for big games for a lot of people. Would we have enough buy-in from the user base 
to keep track of all that to make it have a return, or would people just be overwhelmed and say it's not worth getting into? You bring in gambling and fan duel, and you'll get a lot of people who suddenly really want to be invested in who wins and who loses. I think wrestling fans are more loyal than than we think. I mean, a lot of wrestling fans will stick with no matter what the product is even putting out there. I mean, we've seen it for years, at least with WWE, where we've complained about WWE, all of us have. Yet, I mean, <laughs> WWE still gets their numbers. While they've been falling, they have still been doing generally consistent numbers. So, and then they still have their subscriber yes. base for the WWE network where they're making money off of that too. Because, I mean, honestly, they have more subscribers on the network than they, uh, uh, you know, a uh, allegedly have viewers of raw so i will i'll table uh, table the rest of the discussion unless ace do you have any final thoughts on it um no my only thought about getting about like a like aw or wwe doing a, a tournament like this is that the the only reason i don't think it would work is because you uh because of the amount of matches and the amount of singles matches, WWE, you constantly are sitting like the, one of the reasons the G1 and like the best of the Super Juniors tournament that's coming up works is because New Japan doesn't do single straight up singles matches much outside of their big shows. So this is like the only time of the year that you see that. In, uh, in WWE and AEW, you're seeing these singles matches every year. So why would these singles ma- You need a reason for these singles matches to be more important. Then you just they just need they, you would just need to find something for that like that. Yeah, I think that just depends on discipline for writing. But without discipline, let's have a little fun with this. So I already teased it. So Susie, New Japan, who are the three hunkiest characters? <laughs> within New Japan. Because I oh, know man. mine, and all three are Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> Coming from four microphones. So, uh, I actually I actually have two. Um, Shingo Takagi. That That's dude, my boy! That dude, listen, he has cheeks for days, and his hair is fantastic, and he looks like he can put together my furniture. He looks like he used to be a horse. It's, it, that is... The pony man. That is the hottest man in New Japan. The His second neck ho- is stiff. The second hottest man in New Japan is evil. Just pretty and chunky and snuggly and also has cheeks for days. Ten out of ten. Highly recommend. Isn't that Yoshirai's dude? It is yes. Yoshirai's dude. And I their whole dynamic makes sense instantly. They look like they have Wild monkey sex involving lots of things that cause pain. <laughs> I and I, I'm into that a little bit. <laughs> entrance music playing the entire time. Good time. I hope the strobe lights are going. <laughs> I think that would cause somebody to have a seizure. Someone might be into it. Hit put on the poppy <laughs> album. Things are about to get wild. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. Oh, you missed so much. <laughs> what did I miss? You you missed the phrase "wild monkey sex." You know, oddly enough, I'm not even surprised at this group. <laughs> and 
20 bucks if you can guess who said it. I'm going to go with Tony. Nope. Nope, it was me. Duel. Damn it, you were my original. I, it was actually me. <laughs> oh, well, Marlon was still my original guess. I was like, no, no, that's too obvious. <laughs> so now before we get into uh, the uh, the best things in wrestling this week, we will do um, some wild speculation because I heard Dave Meltzer making some wild speculation. Um, Tony, and, there, is, there is actually one other thing I would like to cover in this episode. Oh, sure. I uh, actually want to talk about one of the things I think we can learn in the West, kind of since we were on that topic before, um, from the G1, which is I want to give them props to their tag team matches I saw today. Now, I know you're not a big fan of them, but I saw them doing something I have not seen the U.S. do well, which is that they have side action going on between the people out of the ring without the need to pause the main action or focus the camera only on it. It made the ring feel much more involved, chaotic. It felt like it was a group going to war and not just two people with a bunch of people jumping in when it was convenient. Uh, my, one of my biggest takeaways from from the ta- uh, from the tag matches before the t- before the final is that uh, Tai Chi's finisher is called Black Mephisto. His tag team finisher with Zack Saber Jr. is an aided version of his Black Mephisto, and commentary called it the Zack Mephisto, and that I is the that. funniest thing I have heard in a while. <laughs> It's cool as shit. I now, now I understand it. I love New Japan's commentary. I love their Japanese commentary. I love their. I love Kevin Kelly on commentary. He's just. It was fun to listen to. He's just fucking delightful. I. It was a little awkward, like the the disconnect because of you know the COVID era technology green screen. Everybody's not together. You can't bounce off the other person's energy. It's kind of like what we're doing with this podcast. That's exactly what it felt like. And it, I was like, wow. It's, I'm like, that's the physical manifestation of what we all sound like. We all have something to say. We all want to say it. We all love and respect each other. It's just there, there's the disconnect that you experience when you're not in the same room with somebody occupying the same space and sharing the same energy field. It's, it was pleasant. But I would love to see them all in person. But they, they, they made up for it by their enthusiasm. They're watching the match as fans. <laughs> Sorry about that. And, so thank you. And I, and I felt that energy. It was almost like watching sort of mystery science theater and just watching guys watch a thing and then comment on it or watching a Twitch stream or something. It wasn't just dudes talking about their bullshit with wrestling going on in the background. They're talking about the match and the things on the screen, and that was surprisingly refreshing for a professional wrestling commentary, despite them not being in the arena. New Japan commentary. Just dudes being dudes, watching dudes beating dudes. <laughs> I'll say it to you, I, d- I don't think there is a a commentator on for any major company that has as much information to share as Chris Charlton. That yes. man tells like no, he he there he is able to find a significance for just about everything and tell you what it is. I feel like Kevin Kelly went to him as his Wikipedia. Like I don't know about this. You talk about it. Yeah, well, because I know Chris Charlton has written. I know he's written at least two books. One called a lot called Lion's Pride: The Turbulent History of New Japan Pro Wrestling, which I have right in front of me because I've been reading it. And he has another one called Walking on Eggshells about the history of pro wrestling in the Tokyo Dome. 
Like, so he is some, yeah, he is somebody who knows a lot about Japanese wrestling. And I feel like we should, uh, I feel like we should all choose a book to read about pro wrestling now and like review it. That actually sounds really good. Wrestling book club. (laughs) I I call Journey into Darkness the uh, kayfabe story about Kane. You know what? Yes, that I, I've been meaning to read that. You know what the best part I, is? If we do this, the, the title Fantasy Bookers still works. It's just on a completely different level. <laughs> what I'm hearing is we eventually did, we eventually have to give an entire episode to Ultimate Warriors comic books. Ugh. Oh, and that's right. That exists. I have some issues of Kevin Nash. <laughs> Kevin Nash had a comic book for a bit, and I bought two of them. But anyway, let's get into wrote. let's get into wild speculation so everyone can get to their D and D games on time. So, <laughs> Ace, one thing sure. that Meltzer mentioned is that AEW is or not AEW. Well, I guess AEW in a sense, but New Japan is building to a potential Tanahashi against Moxley match at the Tokyo Dome for Wrestle Kingdom. Is this happening? Do you? see this happening because so it seems when Meltzer is talking about it he's pointed out of his ass which would not be the first time Meltzer pulled information out of his ass so of the so from the finals the to, the big Tokyo Dome matches that they seem like they're building are going to be eventually that's that's probably where we'll get the Okada Osprey match because because Osprey's heel turn and seeming forming of a new faction and we're going to get Ibushi and Naito. The, uh, the, yeah. the, the way I can see them, the, only, the way I see where, like, where he's coming from and how we're getting to Moxley Tanahashi is that, as you've seen throughout the tournament, uh, Kenta has the briefcase that allows him, that'll allow him to challenge for the U.S. title. The busted up head broken briefcase? Yes, the one that he broke over Tanahashi's head. And that's why he has the tape that says Tanahashi's name and points to the crack in the briefcase. <laughs> I love that bit so much. Just, just remember. That's I, remember, <laughs> it was your head that did this. So since since Tanahashi beat Kenta, theoretically Tanahashi can cha- has the right to challenge Kenta for that briefcase. Oh wow. So like that because the, the biggest role. part. Yeah, the biggest part of champions in the tur- in this tur- in the tournament and the winner coming out of the tournament is if you are a champion, if someone pins you during the tournament, they will get they earn the right to challenge you for a shot for it. They earn the right to challenge you for that title. Yo, what if we could twenty four seven title the money in the bank? And like the 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 reason that after uh, Bushi won the won the tournament. The first person that was that came out to challenge him was Jay White, is because Jay White beat him, pinned him for in the tournament. So Jay White has, has can say that like you may have won the tournament, but you still have not beaten me. So you I, have so give me, give me you. So you're now honor bound to give me a shot at that and prove that you can beat me before you can cut before you say that it's truly yours. I like the idea of that switching hands. So, hunky Jay White. I'm so disappointed none of you listed him. He I looks like nah, he, not that rag. He looks like <laughs> he looks like a guy. If anybody's seen the Cohen brothers version of True Grit, he looks like he could star in that movie. He just looks like he slept in dirt for like three weeks. Yeah, I, I will say I liked him better when he had just like the shorter beard that was kept like trimmed up to his face, not the longer goat beard. 
The most interesting thing about Jay White is that he's in the Bullet Club. That's it. That's the only thing that makes him special. The way he wrestles, no, I'll say he. The way he wrestles, the way like the way he avoids take being able to take moves, the way he bumps and sells, I think is amazing. The way he fire can fire, the way he fires up a crowd, like even outside of this, the way he would, the way he was able to get the crowd to do exactly what he wanted. And then his smarmy heel tactics throughout the tournament of getting on the microphone is like, why Why aren't you vocally cheering for Ibushi? You're supposed to love him. Why aren't you making noise for him? And trying to just get them to break the, to break the arena rules and start chanting and cheering for Ibushi was one of my favorite things in this tournament. I would agree. His intensity is, I'd say the only one wrestler who pulls off intensity better might be Randy Orton. But I mean, his intensity is outstanding. His his tendency to like when his opponent's about to hit a big move, instead of wriggling out of it, just to drop it, drop to dead weight, so his opponent can't hit the move. <laughs> like it, it's his match. He's he has had match. He'll have ma- his matches with Okada back when before Okada was on his trip of not using the Rainmaker and proving he's more than just hitting the Rainmaker to win a match. Okada would set him up for the Rainmaker, push him out go to pull him in and hit the clothesline and he would just drop to the floor so Okada couldn't hit the couldn't hit the rainmaker. Like, Joey, when you say that about a wrestler showing intensity and not mentioning Minoru Suzuki, I just imagine that Minoru Suzuki is out there somewhere standing on a roof and it pouring rain and he's just like glaring in your general direction. So That's fine. He can <laughs> He can punch me in the face. Just make sure you broadcast it on a video so Fantasy Bookers gets a follow on YouTube. We won't even let him sue you. Listen, I am am more comfortable saying 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 things that would make Minoru Suzuki think poorly of me than I am saying things that would make New Jack want to kill, make New Jack decide he's going to kill us all. So... (laughs) In fact, if we can just cut like, that right? line there out of the podcast, so he does, so we don't have to worry about him. Why did you possibly hear him? It's so. like mentioning. It's like going into the bathroom and saying "Candyman" three times. <laughs> New Jack. What is Candyman? Is not, that like the fucking Minnesotan version of Bloody Mary? It's <laughs> one of the things. Wait, you like, haven't seen a single Candyman movie, Drew? No, dude, <laughs> <laughs> you're missing out I, on Black Bloody Mary. Oh, yeah, no, I grew up on, you know, Lawnmower Man, Jason, Hellraiser. So Candyman kills kids. He's nuts. He's made <laughs> oh. of bees. So, so going, okay. I want to go back to Tony's thing about Meltzer. Um, and this goes a little behind the scenes with Moxley for the speculation. Because Moxley can wrestle in other promotions. He has that in his contract, right? Because he wrestled in for New Japan in uh, Tiny Increments last year. He, well, he wrestled in last year. AEW has already said they're willing to let people wrestle New Japan anyway. The the issue with with them with uh, AEW wrestlers wrestling for wrestling for other promotions is they are not allowed to appear on any televised any televised promotion on, oh, on American mm. soil. Oh wow! Oh, that on is, American soil. That's that's yeah, a very on American piece. soil. Like that. That's why even though Moxley was in the G one last year. When the, where night one was in Dallas, he was not allowed to appear at the G1 press conference, and he was not allowed to appear even in the opening tag matches of night one. Hmm. It was because they I were wish, on American soil. 
I wish WWE had something like this. Imagine seeing someone like Roman Reigns in the G1 Climax. Oh, uh, no, they'd never let Roman Reigns do that because they can't push the button that turns all the booze into EAs. <laughs> People in Japan wouldn't boo him. They would just clap and then just go silent. <laughs> That's the Japanese boo. <laughs> no, because the Japanese do the Japanese do boo, and I know this because I've watched Tai Chi matches, and Japanese <laughs> fans hate Tai Chi. They chanted him like what what they chanted him translates to Tai Chi go home. <laughs> Holy shit! Not just we want you to lose. We don't want you to be here. We do not want to have to see you wrestle. Please go home. <laughs> So was he doing his job very bad or very very good? He's, I, I'd say he's doing it very good because he's being that because that's what he wants. He that's like he's a heel. He wants them to hate him, and he does that very well. So, so if you all, I guess we will move on into best things in wrestling this week, so we can all get to our families and get to our D and D games. <laughs> so, Joey, best thing in wrestling this week. It's not as much a best thing in wrestling, but I want to I wanna make note of this because I think it's very important. Um, so I'll start off by saying I'm going to do a history lesson of the NFL. I'm, I'm sorry for you all. But so when the American Football League started in 1960 and went into direct competition with the NFL, when the AFL realized that they could themselves be taken seriously or that when they knew they were being taken seriously by the NFL was when the New York Giants from the NFL started taking players from the AFL. They took a kicker from the Buffalo Bills. So that meant that they they viewed the rosters and in basically the minor leagues as just as good to be on their rosters in the big leagues. So I think it's very important to note how Ben Carter was rated, the first wrestler that was rated from AEW, and going to WWE. I think it's an important watershed moment because one, it recognizes on WWE's part that there is still talent in WWE or in AEW that they can put onto their roster and and have them make them important in front of their crowd. And I think it helps WWE recognize one, the talent level just in general at AEW, but it recognizes that the need to elevate because of competition. And I think this is a good thing. I don't think we get the the Roman Reigns heel turn that he's been doing so well without competition from AEW, which is one of the latest things that I, I honestly don't think you get some of the post-production matches that WWE did, like at WrestleMania, without an AEW that I like so much, like the Firefly Funhouse or the Boneyard match. I mean, I know there's part of it COVID too, but I think this is a big credit to AEW in establishing competition and making WWE even better because of it, as well as giving the fans more options to turn to. Okay. I will not talk about how much work rating is doing in regards to Ben Carter's signing, but I'll just drop that. So if and- you don't bring that up, I won't bring up the fact that of course they know those people could make the money because most of them came from there. <laughs> so Andy, best thing in wrestling this week. Uh, I think the best thing that we're doing is we're showing a continuing evolution and G1 did this very well of how a COVID type environment can go. There's been a lot of, you know, articles and stuff coming out saying that even if there's a vaccine, we're not going back to normal. Right. 
And if there has to be a new normal, we have to establish what those boundaries are. And I think the Japanese audience is one of the best things in wrestling because they showed us what a responsible, engaged audience can be. And while I don't think that just for cultural reasons in the U.S. we'll ever get to the same level as Japan is in that regard, I think there are things we can learn from them and still make an event feel important, still make it feel alive, but keep it safe and make the people feel like they're respecting the athletes. So Marwin and Suzette, what is your best thing in wrestling this week? See, my best thing in wrestling up until now was the G1, but I just remembered Tony Storm is back on my TV again. She's back on NXT proper in the U.S., and that makes me very happy in spite of her relationship with one Juice Robinson. My least favorite thing in wrestling this week was discovering that somebody not only is willing to breed and mate with this disgusting creature, but it's somebody as attractive and talented as her. But I'm we don't so know that they mate. We do not know that they mate. There is no proof of that. See, in, in that <laughs> regard, my least favorite thing in wrestling today, this week will be the return of Lars Sullivan. I was a huge fan of his until I discovered what he's like outside of the ring. That dude is a disgusting pig. He's amazing in the ring, but a twat. Uh, um, um, Lars Sullivan and amazing in the ring are not two things I would <laughs> say are not two sentences that are it's not a sentence that's Thank true. you, Ace. I think Thank he's a great you. big guy. He's a big scary he's, dude. And he's he a good well. big monster heel, but being a good big monster heel and being an amazing wrestler are far and away from being the same thing. Thank you, Ace. I'm glad somebody has some goddamn sense. I feel like being a big monster heel takes a certain level of skill that's not no, appreciated. It it absolutely it doesn't look more like, once she ships you over here, I won't call you out like this. I'm sorry, it was. And like the, the, the biggest thing missing for me from this year's G1 was someone who can be the big monster heel, and that's big bad luck Fale, who was not in this year's tournament. I also missed him from his from because we didn't get the fun moments that we get in the usually in his press conferences before the G1, where one year I was watching it live. Didn't realize he had walked up to the podium and got scared shitless because he just yelled into the microphone, fuck him, and went and sat back down. <laughs> God, that was so fucking good. I remember when he sent me that good for the first time. I laughed for like 10 minutes straight. I'm just like, I can't believe that just happened. <laughs> and then at the next year's press conference after that, it was during that time period where Roman Reigns was using the phrase, I can and I will. He comes to the podium, looks around at his opponents, gets in the mic, I can. And I will fuck him again, and then go <laughs> back down. <laughs> Marlin, on the bright side, you we can drop your Lars Sullivan. I'll raise you a Dexter Loomis is back. Yeah. <laughs> I can like both. And Tony hates you for both of your life choices. I like nothing but wrestlers that Tony hates, just exclusively. <laughs> and Joey. <laughs> just watch these guys get marched out of Vince McMahon's cloning chamber. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, Dexter Loomis's character started when he was in Impact Wrestling. <laughs> and we also know Vince McMahon doesn't have a cloning chamber because we don't have 10 Rocks and 10 Roman Reigns. <laughs> but Julian Seth Rollins, though. Unfortunately for the rest of us. So, Ace, what's your best thing in wrestling this week? I have I have two. One because because one's just really small. Now, it's one is the 
coolest thing in wrestling was Masahiro Chono showing up at the G1 finals. Dude looks like dude just looks like a badass to me, and I love him. And also what? marked he does the look return, like a badass. It also marked the return of the biggest heel in New Japan in the New Japan's history, which is the notification on New Japan World that the music has been altered due to music rights. <laughs> now, what was supposed to be playing? No, uh, he has other really. Co- I don't remember exactly what his entrance music is, but I know it's not that. <laughs> it's happened before. Um, Togi Makabe's entrance music is a Japanese cover of Immigrant Song, so we every time he's entered um, enters the ring, we get that message. It's ha- it happened once when for one of Chris Jericho's entrances because of a miscommunication between New Japan, Chris Jericho, and Chris Jericho's music label over whether or not New Japan had the rights to play Judas over the over the internet like that. Despite his own song, it's his yeah. song. I yeah, Chris to a bad cover of his own song just to play in New Japan. <laughs> and it then, would have been better. And then that happened. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Are you saying that song's only popular because he's basically masturbating his two thugs together? <laughs> and then the other time I know it's happened, uh, Will Ospreay's music is custom for him, and it, they once had an issue with it, so they had to put it up for that. But the real best thing in wrestling this week for me is Will Ospreay's heel turn against Okada. The return of Tomoaki Oka Oka, as the great Okan. And seemingly the fact that we're going to get more women involved in New Japan with the debut of B Priestley. And she was cool. And her carrying her stardom championship out to the ring with her while Will made his entrance. Yeah. She reminds me of Viper from Marvel. I really do Wolverine. wish. I really do wish they'd given her a little bit more spotlight in that because it felt very much to me like, hey, look at my very pretty arm candy. And I felt like if you didn't know who she was, you didn't get the appreciation of why that was important. Well, that's why, like, the English commentary makes it very clear, made it very clear on the A, because the A Block finals was the first time she showed up. And she showed up during Will's match with Okada. And like just acting as the concerned girlfriend, and they pointed out that that's B Priestley, that's Will's girlfriend. And then when she got involved, they made it very clear that their their allegiance. And then just Will Osprey's heel turn, where he goes back into the ring after he's won the match, hits the hidden blade on an already beaten Okada, and just gets in Okada's face, yelling "Fuck you, Okada! Fuck you!" to establish so- that. <laughs> just to just establish that how much he dislikes Okada now. I B Priestley showing up in the New Japan G1 and actually like participating. That was really cool. And I, I do I understand why G1 is men only and how they have like their separate <laughs> tournaments or whatever. But there are only so many dudes that I can watch wrestle before I'm like, can somebody please put a woman in a match just to do something? It it becomes, after a while, it does become kind of sausage festy. You know, Susie, um, the show isn't about your male gaze. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Then explain Hiroshi Tanahashi, Drew. <laughs> Explain. Better yet, explain Taiji Ishimori and his 14 abs. <laughs> Listen. 
I can only assume some of those were stolen from homeless people and inserted. <laughs> but I have no good answers to either of us. So my, so my best thing in wrestling this week is actually from Colt Cabana's podcast. And uh, Joey Janela was on it most recently and was very good. Went into some like specifics on actually running shows himself and all of this other cool stuff. It's a very interesting thing, but in it, he tells two very specific stories. One is the most wholesome rib I've ever heard. And the other is shitting on Jim Cornette, which I really like. So the most wholesome rib ever is, I guess at an indie show when he was still coming up, when he was still in the indies, uh, Joey Janela's mom had not seen him wrestle. So the wrestlers arranged as a rib, and I use rib in quotes because I don't see how this is really a joke. They arranged for Joey Janela to come out and do his entrance and standing outside the curtain was his mom. So he comes out to his music into the curtain and his mom is just standing there and gives him a big hug and tells him she's proud of him. <laughs> That's cute as shit. Until she watched him wrestle, but we'll move on. He was just owned at that part, but we stopped where we wanted. This is subjective editing. <laughs> then they took the, then they took Joey's mom away, so she didn't have to watch what her son had was trying to do. <laughs> Good now, take his mom away. So the other is um, him going into how he acts on Twitter, um, because Joey Janela will respond to the trolls because he he and I have very similar energy. If you decide to be a jerk on Twitter, we will give it just as much as you are providing. Just because, why not? We're smarter than you anyway. I am going to be, like, really egotistical there on mine as well. But um, he talked about mainly dealing with Jim Cornette and how Jim Cornette blocked him twice, which means that he would have unblocked him. (laughs) Um, and the main reason which got him blocked the most recent time is, I guess, Joey Janela just had enough of Jim Cornette shitting on him for no reason other than he's Jim Cornette and he wants to feel like a big man. So Joey Janela said, like, oh, I don't understand why you're being so mean to me. You weren't this way when we were having dinner at Chili's and actually got the Chili's Twitter in on it. To <laughs> vouch for him that he I remember seeing this tweet. I, I remember seeing this tweet of him tweeting out like Jim, stop running away from the fact that we had a great time at Chili's. And then Chili's responded with, Jim, stop running away from the fact that you and Joey had a great time at Chili's. <laughs> and that caused Jim Cornette to block him again, which is just <laughs> glorious. I have a question, R.E., that threat. Who the fuck is still eating at Chili's? Joey Janela and Jim Cornette. Why, though? Because it's secret and intimate. No one else is there, as you pointed out. If I have professional wrestler money, if I have Jim Cornette money, literally the last place I am ever eating again, ever, is Chili's. If I never have to eat there again, I'll die happy. 
Sometimes you I'm, just need those southwestern listen, egg rolls. I'm gonna, I'm you, gonna you I'm do this as, a, as an example by comparison. I have a friend of mine who is a multimillionaire, and his absolute favorite restaurant in the entire world is Cheesecake Factory. It's a good ass restaurant, though. I don't blame him. <laughs> yeah, but this is a person that regularly spends a lot of time in New York, going to all the nice little like exclusive restaurants, I'll and say still for, thinks Cheesecake Factory does better. I'll say too for so. Uh, for looking for people that like chilies, there was an entire bit on BTE about them trying to get a chili sponsorship. Okay, all right, they're on the road then. There we are. That then led to that, that led to the that led to the elite not getting the chi- not getting the chilies endorsement, but the Dark Order got the chilies endorsement. <laughs> so <laughs> the real question is: Did the Dark <laughs> Order get ch- uh, chilies to drink the Kool Aid? I don't know, but the but one of the best segments on a BT episode ever was after Brody Lee won the won the TNT title. He comes into their their little rocker room area on BTE, and every like it's you see Uno and Anna J and uh, five and ten and Stu Grayson in there, and there he walks in, holds the title up, and they all go yeah, and then Silver and Reynolds walk in, guys. We got the chilies, and everyone yells louder for the chilies than they did for Brody winning the title. <laughs> now, speaking of someone that really likes Brody Lee in AEW compared to his time in WWE, let's be honest, chilies is more exciting. <laughs> Wait, so that's how it works? Who can we go hard on for an endorsement? I, I want free food. I mean, I don't know if they actually got the endo- if it's real if they got the endorsement. But in BTE canon, I mean, if you're uh, doing it, if you're doing it for free food, Outback Steakhouse, no, nothing. Could, Texas guys, Roadhouse with our Rolls. with our draw, with our current draw, like numbers wise, I think the best we're gonna get is Fat Nats. Hey, do it! I'll do it. Fat Nats. Mm. Mm-hmm. I could show you some Fat Nats right now. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I consider that a win. He's literally drooling over here. Look you know what you started. You know what's, what is great about this great match? What would go good of this great match is some fat gnats. Some fat gnats would be wonderful. Yeah, Tony, so, we need you to hit up fat gnats for us and let us know if they're interested in sponsoring. Yeah, so we are fantasy bookers. Currently, we are not sponsored by fat gnats, but it is a delicious breakfast. Uh, they fat have gnats. omelets. They have great pancakes. They will refill your coffee cup just at random. Just... Their waitresses will come from the ceiling, repelling, and just refill your coffee cup. They are very astute. We also recommend you don't eat. We also recommend you don't eat for at least three days before going because you will still be overfed. (laughs) Also, before anyone does any wild Google searches, it's in Minnesota, so you're not just blindly searching for a local fat nats. It's the one location, and it's amazing. There are two locations. Two now. Hot diggity dog. But But which one actually has Nat? I think technically both of them, but I'm not sure. I will look into it and give it in the little outro section, and we will (laughs) kick it to Tony in the future in the outro section, and I will stop the recording here.
Hello, it's me again, Tony from the future. Um, I still do not know which Fat Nats has Nats, so sorry for all of you guys who are actually in Minnesota. I do highly recommend that if you are in the northern suburbs of Minneapolis that you take a trip down to Fat Nats. It is very good. Good, good breakfast food, good diner food. That's what you need. And similar to good diner food, we have good social media content across the board you can follow us on facebook at fantasy bookers you can follow us on instagram at fantasy bookers you can follow us on twitter at fantasy underscore bookers just to change it up for you and if you really want to and you want to join our discord channel you can go to anchor.fm slash fantasy hyphen bookers and there's a little tab that's marked support and you can give to us um, all of the proceeds will just go directly back into the podcast. We can get better mics. We can do all of the things to give you better wrestling content. Taking a look at the episodes, you guys seem to really like the G1 stuff. So I'm, I'm very glad that this, this journey through New Japan has been a hit. Um, that's really good to see. But either way, we will... I will not see you next week. I have the next two weeks off. But Joey will see you over the next two weeks here. And we'll see you later.